0: Hi, Ben Conley here. Whether this is your first time to tune in or you're a regular subscriber, I want to thank you for listening in on Salt and Light Community's Sunday teachings. And before we start today, I need to correct some comments that I made. Multiple times in the coming message, you'll hear me reference something like Jesus' three years on earth. While his earthly ministry lasted somewhere around three years... I'm fully aware that Jesus' life on earth lasted somewhere around the 33-year mark and that he voluntarily laid down some of his fully God attributes for the entirety of that time. I just misspoke in the message and said three years instead of 33, and I did so more than once. Now, in many churches and on many weeks in a given year, Many teachers misspeak or mess up phrases like this. Salt and Light chooses not to correct these simple mistakes on a regular basis. But on one hand, again, I made the same mistake more than once. And on the other hand, today's teaching involves some theology that is part of Christian orthodoxy, but but it's perhaps a little less common to folks. And so I wanted to make sure that we are as clear as possible in how we explain that teaching, how we explain that theology. Further, after our gathering, three people approached me all with a question about those remarks. And yes, it really was three people approaching me, not 33. So all that to say, I want to thank you for tuning in again. I want to ask that you'll please forgive my brain fog and botched phrases. I wanted to clarify this, knowing that Jesus laid down some of his attributes for the entirety of his 33 years or so on earth, not just for three with that correction in mind, let's jump into this week's teaching. Okay, cool. Um, I love, I love, I love what Michelle just led us through. Um, and, and I want to chat about it a little bit as we get into our conversation today. Um, what strikes you about kind of long-form prayer like that? Or for some of you, it feels like long-form prayer. For some of you, it may not. But, but for for some folks, just lifting up needs to God, it's, it's, it's a little bit uncommon. So what, what strikes you about that? What's easy about it? What's hard about it? What, what did God bring to mind at some point as we were praying together? Open question. Yeah, yeah, there are things that we wouldn't know about that we now have the opportunity to, to lift up to God, not as an individual, but as a, as a church family, which is a really sweet thing. What else? yeah yeah everybody has different things on their minds there's a, a vast array of different different topics and yet is there anything that's separated from the kingdom of God and his rule and reign and care like God I love I love some of the kids prayers even especially of like I forget sometimes that God cares about little things like that right yeah That's interesting. So needs made it more personal. Whereas, and I wonder if there's something where prayer requests, it almost feels like there's like a, something built up in some of our minds, like it has to fit a certain category or be a little bit fitting within a Christian realm even, or that kind of stuff, whereas needs is open for everything, anything, as we heard. Good. Anything else come to mind? Okay, another question. When you think of power... Just in general, take take the kind of prayer lens off a little bit. When you think of power, who or what comes to mind? So when you think of the concept of power. World leaders, yeah. Folks folks who have some degree of power or authority. Okay, good. What else? What comes to mind when you think of power? What or whom? The Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be non-church answers. That is the answer. The Holy Spirit. Yes, absolutely. I just didn't want to limit us to, to church answers. So, yeah, Holy Spirit, power. Good. What else? I think about things with a lot of energy. hmm Like things in nature that have a lot of energy and really powerful. Yeah, things in nature with a lot of energy. Absolutely. I always think of electric, like electricity. It's the, the current that runs through that when you flip a switch. The switch doesn't do anything. There's a current that does something like that. And then at the same time... Maybe in contrast to that, or maybe aligned with that, when you want something to change or when you want to fix something, whether it's internal, something about yourself, whether it's external, something in the world around you, where's the first place you turn? Google. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The number of times this past week, my kids are like, hey, can you ask Siri? <laughs> what else? Where, where do you turn to fix something? Expert of some kind. An expert of some kind. Yeah, sick, you go to a doctor, car battery, you look up the YouTube video. Yeah. What else? To God. What else? Where else do you turn? A lot of times these these things are are so expectant and they're right in front of us. And so what I love about like like walking into today's conversation, which is about power. After we just had a a time of lifting up every need, uh, so vast an array of needs, is is what I I hope we do today is kind of combine those two things into going. We say that the Holy Spirit is powerful. We say God is powerful. And yet so often when we come up against something we need, God is the, the last place we look. There's something in us that we want to see change. And so we'll do whatever we can in our power to change it, or we'll look to someone or Google how to change this, or five easy steps or that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll see something going on in the world around us, and we'll start with ourselves or we'll start with something else. And and so what I want to do today is just take in one more step in this conversation. And this is going to be kind of a long, drawn-out, couple-month-long conversation to get more and more tangible around this idea of prayer just to try to combine those two things and go, when we truly have needs, when we truly are looking for power, what would it look to step into God's invitation and just take one step into going, trusting him first, looking to him first, asking him first. So again, if you weren't here last week, I think you know by now, but uh, these couple months we're walking through Uh, just some of Jesus's own prayer habits. We're learning what to pray and how to pray from what Jesus prayed and how Jesus prayed. And our hope is that we would become increasingly a praying people. And, and for today's conversation, part of that is because we believe that God is the truest source of power. No matter where else we look, no matter where else we're tempted to, to, to look for power or fixing things or changing things, or that kind of stuff, we, we believe, at least in our, in our heads and in our theology, maybe not in the moment, but we believe that God is the truest source of power. And so just a quick catch-up, if you weren't here last week, we started by asking the question, does prayer work? And, and the answer, we said, depends on what do you mean by the word work? Because if, if prayer is, is asking God to conform to our ways or, or, or to, to confirm our priorities, or if we're trying to use prayer to exert some sort of power over God, then no, prayer will not work. Because that's not what prayer is designed for. But, but on the other hand, if prayer is an act of trust in which we say, God, we want more of your priorities, and God, we, we want to rely more on your power then prayer starts to accomplish exactly what God designed it for. Prayer prayer works if prayer changes us. Last week we saw kind of this common type of need, type of prayer, praying through needs, but but we reframed it through the lens of the Lord's Prayer and saying, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Inherent in that is saying, God, you are a caring being. You, You care for us, and also you're so other and so able that you can do anything, and, and also you're good, and right, and perfect, and everything you do, we can trust you. And so every need in the Lord's Prayer is, is seen through the lens of more of your kingdom coming, more of your will being done, our, our greatest need is more of God's kingdom, more of God's power, more of God's abiding, more of God's spirit. And, and so the lens we pray through matters because today we're just going to take one next step in prayer, and and we're just going to look at two pretty mysterious realities. The first is that Jesus prayed, and and that should be kind of mysterious to us. Uh, The second mystery is that Jesus' reliance informs our reliance, and then we're going to see this kind of prayer that Jesus prayed, which is a prayer for kingdom empowerment is what we're going to call it. So we're working our way around the prayer wheel. This is kind of the three o'clock-ish side of your prayer wheel. So, Father, would you even empower this? Would you be with us, and would you be the source of everything good, and would you remind us of your, your power uh, in the midst of everything else today? It's in your Son's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Luke 3. So we're going to turn to Luke 3. Go for it. But, but, but as you turn, we've got to start with this first mysterious realization, and that is that Jesus prayed. And maybe that's not weird to you, maybe that's not odd to you, but I remember when I first like, really paid attention to the fact that Jesus prayed, it was probably my late teens, early 20s, it just stopped me cold, because my thought is, like, Jesus is God. Jesus is super connected with God, and so why would Jesus have to pray? And the image that, that still comes to mind, I don't know if this is even true, but like, it, in my mind, it's like if you own a burger restaurant, if you're the owner, you probably don't pay f- full price for the burger. You probably don't pay for the burger. It all works out in the wash. And so in the same way, it's kind of like Jesus is God. Why would he need to pray? That's, that, that's a really weird image, but that's always what comes to mind. It's like, why would Jesus need to pray if he kind of owns it, if he is God? And so have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed? Ever come to mind, why, why, do you th- why do you think that Jesus prayed? There's, there's kind of two veins of theology that answer this question. And I, I think our view of why Jesus prayed informs our view of Jesus and informs our view of prayer. And so we've got to go a little bit theological for a little bit. The, the first vein of theology says that Jesus prayed not because he needed to. In fact, let me, let me state it as strongly as they do. They say Jesus didn't actually need to pray. He only prayed as an example to other people. And, and, so, and, and to be fair, like there are times when Jesus prays aloud and says, I'm praying aloud so that others can know the kind of connection we have. But, but if, if Jesus only prayed to be an example to other people, it feels a little bit disingenuous. And, and there are times when Jesus would go off on his own and, and pray and spend time with the Father. And so there's something missing in that view that Jesus only prayed to to be an example to others. There's a second vein of theology, though, a second answer that I think is more more authentic, it's more helpful, it's more even applicable to us, and that says that Jesus prayed because Jesus was fully human. Jesus was fully human. And this gets into the mystery that is so hard to define, but we're going to do our best to try it today. I'm sure I'll say something a little bit out of line as we try to define (laughs) this mystery, but 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 Christian orthodoxy, historic faith has affirmed that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. That is is such a a hard concept to grasp that I think most of us end up thinking about it kind of more like 50-50, like he's, he's... this half of him is fully God and this half of him is fully man, but that's only like 100% of the time it works 80% of the time or whatever the the weird anchorman quote is that I just botched. Um, Like if Jesus is only fully man in half of him, he's not fully man. If he's only fully God in half of him, he's not fully God. And so, but we think like the God side of Jesus did miracles, but the human side of Jesus ate and laughed in, in this kind of stuff as if somehow... Those two sides didn't interact. If, if God is only, if Jesus was half and half, he wasn't fully either of those things. And so follow me to just a little bit of logic. It's going to be up on the screen. First, Jesus was fully God, is fully God for all of eternity. He's one with the Father, one with the Spirit. He's the nature and power of God. There's different roles, but Jesus is undeniably all the time fully God. But, as we saw in Philippians, while Jesus was God, is God, and, and had the rights to God's throne, what did, what did Jesus do in Philippians? Do you remember? He emptied himself. He voluntarily gave up some of his rights for a brief season. And, and, and Philippians 2.7, I think, says he humbled himself to, to take the form of a servant, and he humbled himself to take the form of man. And we know that that eventually led to him dying on the cross, but he gave up, voluntarily gave up some of his rights and titles. He's fully God. He voluntarily gave up some of his rights and titles so that three, Jesus is still God and will be and always has been, but for three-ish years on earth, he was 100% fully human. He ate And drank and he was tempted and he laughed and he felt things deeply just like you do and as a fully 100% human Jesus also prayed to God the Father and relied on God the Spirit just like you do and and that may feel a little bit like we're walking a line of heresy and, and, and if it does, I, th- I think I would invite us to think through this from another lens. Like, we're, we're okay in other areas of Jesus's humanity that he gave some things up. Like, like God is, is all-knowing, right? God is, we believe that God is all-powerful. We believe God never sleeps, never needs rest. We believe God can be everywhere at once, and yet, we're okay with saying, hey, for three years, Jesus couldn't be everywhere at once. He could only be as he walked on this earth with one group of people in one place at one time. Jesus got tired, and we're okay with that. Jesus had the full range of emotions, and we're okay with that. We're also, we, we might say it like this, we're also okay that, that God puts aside some of his own attributes at times. For example, God is always just, and yet God is currently withholding his justice to be patient and let more and more people come to know him. So, so we're okay with God not fully operating in everything God could be, but when it comes to prayer, we don't often think that, that Jesus, as God, was reliant on God as 100% fully human. That make sense? And so here's the, here's the point, the, the therefore to this little logical progression. If Jesus was fully human in every other aspect, he was also fully human in his dependence on God. He had a, a, an authentic prayer life with God the Father. He was reliant on God the Spirit. Uh, Hebrews 5, the author of Hebrews, this will be up on the screen, kind of clarifies this for us. But Hebrews 5 verse 7 says this. It says that while he was in the flesh, while he was in the flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because he was God. No, that's not what it said. He was heard. Why? Because he treated God's name as as holy, as hallowed. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. He was heard because of his reverence. Uh, Another Bible translation uses that first phrase and says, in the days when Jesus was a man on earth, he prayed. A third says Jesus prayed during his earthly life. There's something unique about this, this particular few, few years of history that is captured maybe best by a Canadian theologian named Mark Jones. He said Jesus' prayers were at the heart of Jesus' obedient, dependent life before the Father. So, so I'm intentionally belaboring this point. And you can tell that. I'm intentionally belaboring this point, though, because it seems a little bit foreign to us, maybe. But it really greatly matters. Why does it matter that Jesus was fully human? Why does it matter that Jesus was fully dependent on God the Father and God the Spirit? Because if we are learning to pray like Jesus... Then, if Jesus was reliant on God for kingdom empowerment, for ministry and mission and everyday needs and this kind of stuff, how much more are we reliant on God for kingdom empowerment and mission and ministry and everyday needs? Jesus affirms this kind of dependence himself in, in the, the gospel of John, John captures him saying, truly, truly, I say to you, when his authority is being questioned for the record, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. John Owen, who is like the most reformed of all reformed theologians, um, who started Scottish Presbyterianism, huge figure there, wrote a lot of the the long-form Puritan kind of books. His claim is that while most commonly people understand Jesus' miracles even, divined on jesus's divine nature that it is the holy spirit who's the true author of jesus's miracles and coming from that particular vein of theology that's a big deal and so if if we are like jesus fully human then we are of that same dependence that same relationship with god the father If God the Spirit enabled Jesus as fully human to heal and to have insight into others and to do miracles, then the Spirit can do the same through us who are also fully human. We are not God, but we are fully human. While Jesus was fully God before eternity, he is also the perfect example of of, of full humanity. He's the only human who is ever 100% fully aligned with God the Father and God the Spirit. And so his prayers while he was on earth happened because he was reliant on his Father's will and direction and on the Spirit to lead and empower him. His prayers on earth happened because he needed kingdom empowerment for his mission, for his ministry, for his everyday life. There's was a lot of theology, but it matters. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Again, it's a mystery. There's some of that that, that is probably a little bit misexplained, but but we, we've got to get it. Because if we're learning to pray by seeing how and what Jesus prayed, and again, if Jesus is fully reliant on God the Father and God the Spirit, and if Jesus needed kingdom empowerment for his mission and ministry, then we... Like Jesus, are fully reliant on God the Father and God the Spirit, and we, like Jesus, need kingdom empowerment for God's mission and ministry in everyday life. And so, let's see. I just want us to see for the rest of our time how this looked in Jesus's life. So, so we're in Luke three. Finally, we're getting to Luke three. Context here: if you're unfamiliar with the Gospel of Luke, John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin. He's a, he's a prophet, he was a forerunner who came before Jesus and said there's someone coming who's finally the Messiah, the long-awaited one is here. John was baptizing people who repented, who, who, who changed from disbelief to belief and showed fruit of that change, and all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all explain that Jesus came to be baptized by John the Baptist, but they all four emphasize different aspects of Jesus' baptism. Mark just gives the facts. That's the book of Mark. It's really short. It just gives the facts. John's gospel explains that John the Baptist exalts Jesus. He praises Jesus even as Jesus comes down to be baptized. Matthew shows John the Baptist as being pretty reluctant. He goes, you you should be the one baptizing me. I shouldn't be the one baptizing you. But then Luke's account has this phrase that none of the other gospel accounts have. So it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read it just real briefly. Luke 3, starting in verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. What's the phrase that Luke includes and nobody else does? And was praying. After Jesus was baptized, and was praying. It was then that the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended like the dove and Jesus received God the Father's affirmation. There's a woman named Catherine Wright who wrote a book called The Spiritual Practices of Jesus. And and she, in, in considering this moment, says, for Luke... This is not just a story about Jesus' baptism. This is a story about the power of prayer. She says, Jesus' baptism prayer launches his ministry. It initiates his anointing and his commissioning and his empowerment for ministry. Luke replaces the phrases about Jesus coming out of the water that you find in Matthew and Mark with phrases, with the phrase, and was praying. So, her conclusion is that that Luke is making the prayer, not the baptism itself, the point of focus. And immediately we see Jesus' prayer invite God to act. And maybe that's a little overstated, but but here's what's undeniable in Luke's account of Jesus' prayer Jesus prayed, and the Spirit descends. Jesus prayed, and God the Father spoke. Jesus prayed, and immediately, the very next verses that start Luke 4, immediately, God takes him into the wilderness. Matthew and Mark both say the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And there, Jesus is tempted, and he fasts for 40 days. He's tempted by the devil. How how was Jesus sustained during those 40 days? He was utterly dependent and reliant on the presence of God to care for him. He, he, he rebukes the devil's claims by quoting Scripture. Luke 4, verse 1 says, Jesus was full of the Spirit. John 1 affirms that that the angels were ministering to him. Here's, here's why I'm painting this picture, is that Jesus was not sustained in his temptation, and he was not sustained uh, before Satan by his own divinity. The gospel accounts show us that he was dependent and reliant on the Father sustained by the Spirit and needed God's empowerment even in his own temptation. Jesus was fully human and was prayerful and reliant on God. This is a pattern through Jesus' life. In, in Luke 4, 18, he unrolls the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and says, here's, here's why I've come. But he says, he says, it's because I was full of the Spirit. Luke, Luke, sorry, Luke says, because the Spirit of God is upon me, Jesus said, because the Spirit of God is upon me, that's why I bring good news to the poor. That's why I bring liberty to the captives. That's why I bring sight to the blind. Jesus prays before he performs miracles. We see over and over and over again during his time on earth, Jesus be dependent on God the Father through God the Spirit. Whether it's overt times of prayer, getting away and praying, whether it's more subtle times of continual prayer, Jesus prays, and then things happen. Jesus prays and mission happens. Jesus prays and ministry happens. Jesus prays and needs are met. That's the consistent pattern through Jesus' life. And, and maybe helpful for us today, that pattern continues through the book of Acts as well. And so it's not just limited to Jesus. In Acts 2, the, the disciples are together. Most folks, most, most theologians and historians think they're praying on the day of Pentecost, and that's when the Holy Spirit shows up and empowers them for ministry. Does that echo anything? It's, it's God the Father showing up similar to how he showed up in Jesus' baptism, showing up in, in, in his followers and baptizing them with tongues of fire before they go out and start their own ministry and start their own mission. Jesus' followers in Acts pray, and God reveals himself. Jesus' followers in Acts pray, and God frees captives. Jesus' followers in Acts pray, and sight is given to the blind. Jesus' followers in Acts pray, and they're guarded from temptation and from the power over evil. Or sometimes Jesus' followers in Acts pray, and then God brings them home to be with God. And, and here's the point of all of this, is that we are mere humans, just like Jesus' followers were mere humans. And we are human like Jesus was human. And for anyone who follows Jesus, you are filled with and led by and have access to the power of God the Spirit, just like Jesus' followers and just like Jesus were filled with and led by and had access to the power of the spirit. But back to where we started, so often when we want to see anything happen, want to see anything fixed, when we want to see anything change, internal, external, something about me, something about the world around me, something about someone I'm in relationship with, we turn to about every other power other than God. And, and we'll do just about anything other than pray. Or at least that's true for me. Maybe I'm the only one. But, but I want you to think practically what do, you, what do you do when you're tempted? For example, we saw Jesus be tempted by the devil. What do you do when you're tempted? S- so often we, we work on setting up our own rules. We, we create some sort of safe, safe space for us to avoid it. Maybe we'll read specific verses on that kind of temptation. We'll depend on some man-made, human-made method to, to stop us from being tempted. Some of those things aren't bad, they just don't last. What do you do when you see a need in the world around you? Do you immediately try to jump in and meet it? Again, we're, we're called to help, but we can't be the savior of everything. There's a a pastor in Florida named H.B. Charles Jr., and he's got a just great book called It Happens After Prayer. It's a fantastic book, but one quote, I read it years ago, and this one quote has stuck with me, like a gut punch kind of stuck with me. He says, the things that you pray about are the things that you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. Ouch. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things that you trust you can handle on your own. His point in the same paragraph is that prayer is arguably the most objective measure of your dependence on God. Is that fair? Prayer is arguably the most objective measure of your dependence on God. And here's the bottom line in this conversation today what is true for Jesus and what is true for his followers. Sisters and brothers, it's true for you today. The, the The dependence and relationship that Jesus and his followers had on God, that's the kind of relationship God invites us into today. We, we've, we've unlearned what it means to ask God to work. And, and we've We've unlearned over time what it looks like to ask for his kingdom empowerment. But that's, if we want to see actual change for internal things going on, for external things around us, if we want to see his kingdom come, then again, to, to quote Catherine Wright, she says, if we want to be used by God for God's kingdom work, the preliminary step is to be faithful in prayer. H.B. Charles would say, if we want to see anything happen, he says, there's other things you can do, but nothing will happen outside of prayer. And So through these months, we're going to get kind of increasingly practical. We said last week that our greatest need in every individual situation and for our whole life is more of the kingdom of God is a bigger view of God, is more dependence on Christ, is more more of the Spirit's power. And, and today is just one next step in this conversation, because because by Jesus's examples and by his followers' examples, we're shown where to find all that. Where is it that we can find more of the kingdom of God, more a bigger view of God, more dependence on the Spirit, more of His power? Where can we find that in every situation and in our whole life? For any change, for any need, for any want, for any desire, the answer is prayer. And so for, for some of the things we wrote down and for some of the things that Michelle put in her back pocket and didn't pray aloud. And for some of the things that you've thought about writing down, but we're like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to admit that. For any internal need, not request, for any internal need, hurt, pain, brokenness, sin, the first step is turning to God and praying for his kingdom empowerment. For any external need, you're burdened by some injustice. You see some need around you. There's some relational brokenness that you're just desperate to see reconciled. There's someone that you know who doesn't know Jesus, and you're desperate to see them come to know Jesus. Whatever it is, for any external need, the first step is prayer for kingdom empowerment. And guess what? When, you're, when, w- when you pray, you're not alone in that. And if you forget to pray, there's someone praying for that, even if you forget. Because while Jesus was fully human for three years, he died as a human. He rose as a human, the firstborn among all of us who will one day rise. But then he ascended into heaven and retook his rightful place as eternal God. He reclaimed his right to the throne. He reclaimed his title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And do you know what Jesus is doing right now? His earthly work is finished. But Romans 8 tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding, which just means praying for you. He is the very power of God. He is always good and right and king. He he is the access and gives us the access to pray anything we want to God. And one day he will return and we'll see his full power and we'll experience his full presence forever. And until he does, we get to approach him in prayer and we get to rely on him in prayer and we get to know that he's praying and that he knows our needs before we do and that he's the very power to meet those needs And until he returns, we also proclaim his death and resurrection in a lot of different ways. But right now we're going to do that through communion. So grab your juice and your bread. And this is maybe an especially poignant declaration today as we talk about relying on something other than ourselves, as we talk about our need for Jesus, our greatest need, And every other need is proven to be true. And God's promises are yes and amen through the death, resurrection, reign, life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. And so we take the bread and we say, Jesus, this is your body, broken for us. And we take and eat, remembering we need that power that we don't have. we open the cup and we say Jesus we acknowledge that you had very human blood running through your veins and yet it was the only perfectly sinless sacrificial blood the only blood that could rightfully redeem us the only blood that didn't need more and more and more sacrifices and so we say this is the blood of Christ shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins We're going to wrap up our, our teaching time in the same way we did last week. We spent time praying corporately that Michelle led us through. We're going to spend a little bit of time now just inviting you to reflect on that and maybe thinking of some internal need that you have. Maybe the same one you wrote down, maybe a, one one that's come to mind, maybe something even bigger than you maybe something bigger than you've ever thought you could actually bring to God or maybe something smaller than you ever thought you could bring to God. Something internal, something external. There's something going on in your life around you, your neighbors, your friends, your loved ones, society. Would you spend some time just giving those things to God and praying maybe in some of the same ways that we saw in Jesus' life and his followers. Let's bring these things to God and then we'll continue to sing.